transmitting live from the top of the Empire State Building on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio in New York. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm today's host, Jesse Lent. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow, Pistachio, just done national, Effective immediately, I am canceling the last administration's completely one-sided deal with Cuba. Our new policy begins with strictly enforcing U.S. law. We will not lift sanctions on the Cuban regime until all political prisoners are freed. Freedoms of assembly and expression are respected. All political parties are legalized, and free and internationally supervised elections are scheduled. We will very strongly restrict American dollars flowing to the military security, and intelligence services that are the core of the Castro regime. They will be restricted. We will enforce the ban on tourism. We will enforce the embargo. We will take concrete steps to ensure that investments flow directly to the people so they can open private businesses and begin to build their country's great, great future, a country of great potential. That was CNN footage of President Donald J. Trump speaking Friday in the Little Havana neighborhood of Miami, where he announced plans to roll back Obama-era reforms, which had eased restrictions on trade, travel, and business with Cuba for the first time in over 50 years. On Monday, Foreign Minister to Cuba Bruno Rodriguez called President Trump's shift back to a more restrictive posture toward the island nation a, quote, grotesque spectacle at a news conference in Vienna, footage courtesy of the PBS. President Trump's policy constitutes a setback in bilateral relations. The announced measures will not serve their intended purposes. Quite on the contrary, they will impose restrictions on citizens' freedoms. They will cost taxpayers more money. According to the New York Times, the foreign minister added, quote, without a doubt, the politics of Mr. Trump mark a step backwards in bilateral relations, and this has been recognized by countless voices inside and outside of the United States who have roundly rejected the announced changes. Hello and welcome to the 30th episode of Trump Watch. Tonight on the program, I'll be speaking live to Miami Herald reporter Mimi Whitefield, who has been covering the president's move back towards a less open relationship with Cuba. America first imposed an arms embargo against Cuba in 1958, the same year the Batista regime was overthrown in the Cuban Revolution. Two years later, an additional embargo, this time for all exports other than food and medicine. The Foreign Assistance Act followed in 1961, and the Cuban Assets Control Regulations Embargo was passed in 1963. 
In more recent years, the Cuban Democracy Act of 1992, the Cuban Liberty and Democratic Solidarity Act of 1996, also known as the Helms-Burton Act of 1996, and the Trade Sanctions Reform and Export Enhancement Act of 2000, all further institutionalized rules prohibiting travel and commerce between the two countries. Oddly, even the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, one of the laws cited in the current Cuban embargo, a law which, according to Cornell Law School, quote, gives the president the power to oversee or restrict any and all trade between the United States and its enemies in times of war, is offered as a reason U.S. citizens are forbidden from trading with or visiting Cubans. Though it predates Fidel Castro's revolution by four decades, Cuba is currently the only country in the world that faces restrictions as a result of the Enemy Act of 1917. So why does the U.S. seem to have a different standard when it comes to Cuba? And what does it mean now that President Trump is moving back toward the prohibitive policy predating President Obama? Here to help break down the thorny history between these two proud nations is Mimi Whitefield, a reporter for the Miami Herald, whose article Trump, New Policy on Cuba, Begins with Enforcement of U.S. Law, was published Saturday. She joins us live from Miami, Florida. Hi, Mimi. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for joining me. Glad to be here, Jesse. Let's start by going back to the previous president for a minute. Could you please describe some of the ways that President Obama changed U.S. policy towards Cuba? Well, starting off on December 17, 2014, he announced that Cuba and the United States would begin working toward normalizing relations. What that came to mean was a reestablishment of diplomatic relations the following July, the reopening of embassies, uh, liberalizing travel, making it easier to do business with Cuba, and a variety of regulations that were designed to support the Cuban people. Now, some of those policies, um, Donald Trump obviously has pledged to roll back, but not all of them. What are some of the policies that Trump is talking about keeping? Well, I would say everything except there were, there were two major areas where he is going to change things. One of them is that he will cut back on, um, un- under Obama, there were 12 categories of travel that U.S. citizens, um, as long as they felt fit into those categories, they legally could travel to Cuba. And they did not have to ask prior permission from the U.S. Treasury Office of Foreign Assets Control in order to travel. He is keeping all those travel categories except one that he is changing. Uh, It was a a relatively recent change that Obama had made, which was people who went to Cuba on what was called a a people-to-people educational category Previously, they could only go in groups. Obama said no individuals can go as long as they, you know, meet with Cuban people and they engage with Cuban people. You can travel to Cuba as an individual. Trump did away with that. And the other thing that is a rather large change is he said U.S. businesses can no longer do business with any entity that is owned or controlled by the Cuban military, 
or intelligence services. In most countries, that might not be a really big deal, but um, through a military-controlled conglomerate called GAESA, um, it encompasses all sorts of businesses, including hotels, um, gas stations, rental car agencies, import and export. Um, these military entities, which um, uh, actually control 40 to 60 percent of the Cuban economy. And those same, that aspect of uh, what Trump is rolling back is something that I've noticed some Republicans are using for cover on why they support this, right? I remember uh, this past Sunday on Meet, uh, I'm sorry, on Face the Nation, Senator Marco Rubio of, of your great state of Florida was, was talking about how um, what we need to do is empower businesses that are unrelated to the military. Um, and that, that's, that's been a real talking point of this particular shift, right? Yes, absolutely. And the other talking point was Trump needed to change this policy, um, and the justification was that Cuba continues to uh, abuse human rights, um, does not respect civil liberties such as freedom of the press, freedom to assemble, freedom of speech. So it was necessary to crack down on Cuba. And then he further went on that uh, to say that the United States particularly cares about human rights abuses in this hemisphere. So um, I guess we can overlook things that happen in China or Russia or the Middle East. Right. The president famously saying in Saudi Arabia last month that he's not going to lecture them. Uh, but that same uh, rule does not seem to apply to Cuba. Yes. I want to go back to what you were talking about with travel for a minute. Um, in your article from June 15th, Americans will still be able to travel to Cuba, but rules will be stricter. Uh, your lead is the good news for Americans who want to travel to Cuba is they still can. But a draft of President Trump's uh, presidential policy directive indicates they shouldn't even think of sneaking away for a day on a Cuban beach. Can you explain to our listeners why... Uh, they should not even think about going to a beach if these rules uh, go into effect? Well, even under the Obama rules, um, visitors to Cuba were not supposed to go for tourism. And um, they were supposed to engage in, in purposeful travel. And that could be all sorts of things. Um, if you wanted to go to Cuba as a performer, uh or an artist, you could do that. If you wanted to run in the Havana Marathon sports competition, you could do it. Uh, humanitarian trips, um, professional research trips. Um, Cuban Americans were allowed unlimited travel. So there were these 12 categories of travel. As long as you fit in them, you could go, and you did not have to ask for prior approval as you did it in you know some decades in the past. Right. And and under the Trump rules, which have yet to be written, but we, we get an idea of where he's going with things, um, they make a point to say, we want to crack down on anything that looks or smells like tourism. So I've read um, a lot of reports that 
the disapproval regarding Obama rolling back the embargo on Cuba, a lot of it was coming from Cuban Americans, uh, particularly older Cubans who came to the U.S. to flee the Castro regime. Uh, obviously, Miami is a city with a large Cuban population. Can you describe why some of the opposition to lifting sanctions is so high among uh, Cuban Americans, particularly older Cuban Americans? Um, it's so important that it's Trump's returning to their homeland or being able to see relatives or friends still living in the country? Well, I would say most of the uh, traditional Cuban exiles who, who came early in the early 60s, they many of them lost their homes, they lost their businesses. Um, but through the years, many of their family members have arrived in Miami. So there, there are quite a few of what you would call traditional exiles who no longer have any family members in Cuba. Um, but there's a diversity of opinion among Cuban Americans. More recent arrivals um, want to be able to visit their family. They want to have, uh, you know, rules that make it easy to travel, to send money for them. You've got people in Miami um, through remittances who are essentially funding these small private businesses in, in Cuba, that um, there are almost a, a half a million people now who are self-employed. And you wonder where the funding is coming from. A, a lot of it is coming from Miami. Could you unpack the argument against easing the embargo on Cuba? Um, you know, I I understand it to some degree, but the fact that many uh, Cuban Americans, uh, if not a majority, because you know I don't have those numbers in front of me, but can you talk about the the ones that do oppose uh, easing these sanctions? Where that idea comes from? Well, it it comes from pressure will cause regime change, which is what really they're all about. They would like to see Raul Castro out of power. They would like to see um, democracy as we know it and the end of the Communist Party in Cuba. So the old policy of more than a half a century was the embargo and pressure. Of course, Obama said, you know, that that's not really working. We, You have not accomplished any objectives um, haven't helped the Cuban people. Let's try something different. Um, they, some of the people who still argue for the embargo will say, well, it's, it's an embargo with holes in it. Um, it's not fully enforced. Um, so this is a sanction approach, but at the same time, the Trump administration says that it doesn't want to hurt the businesses that have already engaged in Cuba and it wants to encourage the development of private business in Cuba. And um, opponents of the move say, well, you can't really, it, that's going to be difficult to do because, for example, the individuals who went under that um, category of travel called people to people, instead of staying at the large hotels or eating in state-run restaurants, they would eat at um, private restaurants, they would Stay at um, Casa Particulares, which are the bed and breakfast that so many people have started. Even if you know if they have one room in their home, they'll fix it up and they'll try to rent it out. Yeah, let's talk about 
development in Cuba. A lot has been made of the flood of money Cuba has seen in the last few years uh, since the embargo restrictions were partially lifted, uh, despite, as you mentioned earlier, the need for it to be a so-called educational purpose to the trip. Is there any possibility that returning to this more restrictive policy could protect the island from getting too westernized too fast? Well, it, I, I think it will slow things down. But um, on the Cuban end, things have already been pretty slow. They are definitely into controlling the pace of the relationship with the United States. And there are probably dozens of U.S. business proposals that are pending that, that haven't been imp- approved since the Obama opening. As I mentioned in the intro to the show, um, Cuba is currently the only country that is banned under the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, or who's, who the, that law actually affects. We, we even dropped North Korea uh, from the rolls uh, in, in, within the last few years. Why do you think there is such a double standard for Cuba? I mean, is it just the fact that it's 1,500 miles from Miami? Well, I, I think that the proximity is one thing, but if if you'll go back and look at the U.S.-Cuba history, um, almost from the beginning, it has been ruled by politics. So it's not what is the best strategy to obtain U.S. security interests or what is in our national interest, it's basically um, answering to politics. And I think this is another uh, case of that. How so? Well, there was a lot of pressure, certainly from the Cuban-American delegation in Congress. Um, They were the real supporters for this change. There had been, um, shortly after Trump took office, I think beginning in, in February, there was a, a review of Obama's executive orders on, on, um, on Cuba, and they went to all the departments that um, have had dealings with Cuba under the new policy, how is it working, etc. Um, by and large, they said the relationship and these regulations are working fairly well. So there, it wasn't as if there was a need to change this, uh, but there was a political constituency to change it. And do you think, that, and, and it should be noted, right, that historically Cuban-Americans have voted Republican in fairly high numbers. It, yes, that, that is true. Um, Trump did win Florida. I mean, there have been various polls, and it actually does not, appear that he won Miami-Dade County. Hmm. So, and, and is that the county with the highest Cuban population? That, that's Miami. So, yes, that right, is the right, county right. with the highest communi- uh, Cuban population. Um, polls have also shown that Cuban-Americans um, aren't necessarily against the, the new Obama policy. You mean are are not against the the uh, opening of under Obama? Right, right. The changes that Obama made. These double negatives get a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> so, 
you know, one thing I've been wondering about this is uh, how much, if you'll pardon the expression, wiggle room is there now that Trump has made this announcement? Uh, I realize that, you know, these rules won't go into effect probably for at least four months once they're approved, assuming that they sail through. What do you think the odds are that this will be obstructed or change uh from the way that we are discussing it today? Well, as as many lawyers have told me this week, the devil's in the details. So if these regulations get written in a very restrictive sense, there could be major changes. If not, um, they say that the changes are manageable for those who want to do business with Cuba. They're manageable for those who want to travel to Cuba. And where are you watching? Which changes, uh, where do you think there's the most potential for movement? You know, there's also the the memorandum that the president signed and then the uh, Office of Foreign Assets Control put out a uh, document frequently asked questions. So that that's the only real guidance we have on the direction the president wants to go. But there are some inconsistencies in that. For example, on one hand, it says that um, remittances should continue as they are on limited remittances to the Cuban people. But then it greatly expands this list of what they call prohibited individuals in Cuba, and that used to be high um, government officials and high military officials. Now it, it is the way it's written, it includes, you know, everybody who serves in the military, including those who were drafted. Um, it includes everybody who works for one of those military enterprises, or it appears to. So that would mean that remittances could not be sent to those people, and it could be almost a million people. Um, so that that's one of the questions. How does that regulation get drafted? Um, did they intend to say that remittances would continue unabated, or do they really intend to exempt these million or so extra people from getting remittances? And that's, yeah, that's that's really interesting. You know, one other thing, if people are listening to this, so you were just talking about the odds where this could go if this will pass in the form that we are assuming it will. And as you, as you just described, there nothing it's really seems set in stone these days. Um, but if, if this should happen, I mean, as someone who watches this stuff, uh, taking off your journalist hat and, and putting on your, uh, your pundit hat for a second... Is the message that you would send to, to Americans who want to visit Cuba in the next few years, go now before this changes, this is going to be something sweeping? If you're a Cuban-American, are you saying, go see your family now? Or is it a little more vague than that? Is it too hard to predict? Well, if, if you're sort of on the fence and you'd like to go to Cuba in the near future, um, the guidance that the Treasury Department put out now says if you have booked a portion of your trip which could be you've uh, you know booked an accommodation you've rented a car or you bought a ticket if you 
did that prior to June 16th, even if you're not going to travel to Cuba until next winter, that's fine. Um, until these new regulations come out, you could book a trip tomorrow. Um, but I would recommend you would do it in the near future because if if you book and um, for you know a trip at the end of September and the regulations come out September fifteenth, you're you're out of luck if you're trying to go under this individual people to people thing. Um, so. In the interim, it's the status quo. It's the Obama era, era regulations. Um, come whenever these regulations come out, um, you won't have the same freedom to travel as you did before as an individual. Although, if you fit under those other categories, you can still go as an individual traveler. Um, it seems there will be a lot more scrutiny on travel because um, the president is requiring an audit um, from his agencies on Cuba travel. And in order to do the audit, they may be looking a lot more carefully on um, whether people are traveling in the correct categories, um, whether they have receipts. If they've said that they are going on a humanitarian mission, they're going to want to know who did you meet with? Um, was this a full-time schedule, you know, where you had various meetings with um, groups that, to discuss what you're contributing um, and so on? So, you know, I, I know some people who said, well, I will just go under this support for the Cuban people and I'll take a few gifts and I'll be good and I'll do what I want for the last four days of, of my trip. Um you do that at your own risk, apparently, under this new policy, because they have indicated they will be looking um, and, and making sure that you are complying and that you are not going for tourism. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. My guest has been Mimi Whitefield, a reporter for the Miami Herald, whose article Trump, New Policy on Cuba, Begins with Enforcement of U.S. Law, was published Saturday. You're listening to Trump Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM, Pacifica, New York. That's going to do it for this week. This show was engineered by Reggie Johnson. Trump Watch with Jesse Lent is available as a podcast. You can find all 30 episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you all for listening to the first 30. You're the reason we do this. You can also stream or download the program at our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash TrumpWatchWBAI, or in the WBAI archives at WBAI.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter, or contact me directly at TrumpWatch at, at WBAI.org. And I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. See you in the Trump and an SNL collab.